calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Nightmare Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid. Nightmare Magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams and Wendy Wagner. The stories of this podcast are produced by Skyboat Media, helmed by Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure, in association with Jim Freund. Our next offering for the January issue is Red Cap by Carrie Vaughn. The stories read for you by Gabrielle DeCure. Red Cap is copyright 2017 by Carrie Vaughn. Carrie Vaughn is best known for her New York Times best-selling series of novels about a werewolf named Kitty who hosts a radio talk show for the supernaturally disadvantaged, the 14th installment of which is Kitty Saves the World. Her forthcoming novels include a near-Earth space opera, Martians Abroad, from Tor Books, and a post-apocalyptic murder mystery, Bannerless, from John Joseph Adams Books. She's written several other contemporary fantasy and young adult novels, as well as upwards of 80 short stories. She's a contributor to the Wildcard series of Shared World Superhero Books, edited by George R. R. Martin and a graduate of the Odyssey Fantasy Writing Workshop. An Air Force brat, she survived her nomadic childhood and managed to put down roots in Boulder, Colorado. Visit her at www.carryvaughn.com. And so ends this week's intro. So without further ado, let's have a nightmare. Red Cap by Carrie Vaughn. Three poor sisters lived in a cottage at the edge of a wild place. The elder, Rose and Lily, started each day in a furious bustle, storming around the kitchen before dawn, preparing for the day, frying bread for breakfast, slicing cheese for lunch, scrubbing the table, which was already clean, and pestering the youngest, Violet, about her chores. Had she collected the eggs yet? Had she milked the cow? Had she made sure the iron and rowan were still above all the doors to protect them from the fair folks so the hens would keep laying and the cows keep giving milk? If we don't have eggs and milk, we'll all starve, 
Rose would say to Violet every morning, shaking a spoon at her. Do you understand? Lily would admonish, the two of them trapping her between them to make sure she knew this truth. If Violet ever failed, she and her sisters would starve. Violet's sisters loved her. She knew they did. They wouldn't worry so much if they didn't. And they did worry. Her sisters had a loom and a spinning wheel that took up most of the space in their little house, and much of their living was made from turning fluffy sheep into warm blankets. Violet didn't spin and weave, so it was left to her to keep their little flock of sheep alive. There were stories about the wild place near where they grazed, the tall grassy hill in the middle of it, and her sisters worried. Every morning they stopped her before she left the cottage. Have you got a nail in your pocket? Here, take another, Rose said, shoving nails in all her pockets. And here's some bread and salt, said Lily. And St. John's wort. And a sprig of rowan. Violet's pockets bulged with charms. Now, what do you do if you hear music? Rose demanded. I ignore it, Violet replied as always. Walk on as if I never heard it. Lily added, and if a stranger tries to speak to you? I walk away. And if you see a circle of toadstools? I run. And say your prayers. Don't forget to say your prayers, Rose sighed. You remember everything then? I think... And for heaven's sake, don't lose any of the lambs, not a single one, or we will all starve. If not for that last declaration, the one truth more dangerous than all the others, made every morning so she would never forget, Violet would never leave her bed at all. But someone must graze the sheep, or they would die, and without their wool, she and her sisters would starve. So she must go, however many dangers waited to murder her, or worse, steal her soul. She sometimes thought, she had such a very little soul, how could it be worth stealing? Her heart racing before she even set off, she opened the gate to the pen and let the dozen sheep and their lambs spill out, bleeding and running, and counted them all every other minute, to make sure she hadn't lost a single one. One afternoon, Violet's count came up short. She counted again, still one short. One of the lambs had wandered off. She was sure she hadn't turned away from the flock, not for a second. But the stupid little creature was gone, and she wanted to cry. She could not return home to Rose and Lily without the lamb. She would not be the one who caused her sisters to starve. However much she hated the thought of it, however much terror the prospect promised, she had to go look for the thing. The lamb's cries echoed, and Violet wasn't quite sure what direction the sound came from but she was quite sure it was somewhere on that wicked grassy hill, the one that all the stories were about, 
where no living thing on two legs or four ought to go. She checked all her pockets for charms, bit her lip, ignored her racing heart, and set off. Violet pushed and pulled her way up through the masses of blooming heather on the hillside, tracking the sound of mournful bleeding. However it had gotten to the top of this craggy, overgrown rise, her task was to bring it down again, while keeping them both alive. Her calves were scratched above where the tops of her boots were laced. Her hands and arms were cut where bush and thorn had caught her, slowing her passage. Her skirt and even her tunic were wet and spattered with mud. Dark clouds to the west suggested rain. She must get the lamb and return home before the weather found her, or nightfall did, and wilder creatures came out to hunt. She crossed the hill, switching back and forth as she climbed, searching. The bleats were louder now. She could almost hear words in the beast's noise, which seemed to mock her. If she found it standing on a clear path with an easy way down the other side of the hill, she would be so very angry. She topped the next hillock, pausing to catch her breath before moving on. And there it was, a scraggly little gray thing with soaked wool and tear-matted eyes, four legs braced as if it expected the ground beneath its feet to topple. Something was wrong. She had seen this before, a small, silly creature needing her to come fetch it from a perfectly clear and even stretch of grass because it had grown uncertain of its legs. This lamb was trapped, leaning forward, straining against some binding that anchored it to the earth. It might as well have grown roots. Stupid thing, what's got into you? She went to pry it up from whatever held it. Maybe there was a tiny patch of bog. She searched the ground carefully. Then she saw the fairy ring. Perfectly round caps of perfectly white mushrooms peeking through the grass, closing the lamb in as well as any pasture fence. It let out another stuttering cry, as horrified as its situation as she was. Her sisters had so often told her what to do in this situation, but Violet was too scared to remember. She didn't know what to do. Maybe if she cleared one or two of the mushrooms, just quickly kicked them aside without really touching them, praying all the while. I wouldn't do that. If a stranger speaks to you, you should run. You must not speak, or the unholy creature will carry you away. The figure was somewhere between male and female, hollow-chested, sharp-featured, spindly, with clean chin and cheeks and milk-pale skin. It was dressed in loose-fitting raggedy leathers that had been badly tanned and left outside in the weather, or perhaps worked over by a pack of dogs. It wore thick hard boots and a conical cap over black stringy hair. The cap stank like a slaughter, 
stiff and flaking with clotted brown that peeled like a scab. The thing should have been red, she thought. Her mind kept wanting to call it red, like blood, which the cap might have been dipped in over and over again. In truth, it was the color of death, of blood that had been spilled days ago and rotted in the sun. The creature had thorn-like claws at the ends of its fingers and teeth to match. It showed them all when it smiled. Hello there, it said to her in a surprisingly clear voice. She expected it to sound rotten, like the cap. If she spoke, she was lost. If she said a word, the thing would turn her voice against her and peel her skin and cut her heart and dip its cap in her blood. If she ran, it would catch her and gut her. If she went for the lamb, the thing would devour them both. She should run, but she couldn't leave the lamb. What? Can't you speak? It smiled its mouth breaking its face in two. Won't you tell me your name? She shook her head and wondered if that was enough, that tiny bit of conversation, to doom her. She should have simply pretended that she hadn't seen the demon at all. And now she was like the lamb, stuck as if she'd sunk up to her knees in a bog and wanting nothing more than to cry. The demon took off its cap, the shape of its head was round, larger than it should have been, somewhere between human and inhuman. It was terrible. It turned the cap around and around, studying it as if judging the stitches underneath the layers of clotted blood. Oh, my goodness, now you're shaking. Poor thing. But you know... You can walk away from here. Simply turn around, and you'll not be harmed. Leave now, and this will all seem like a dream. You can tell stories about it. It'll be a good story. Everyone will believe you. She almost ran, just like it said. But no, it said to walk, and if she ran, she would be trapped... That was the sort of trick these creatures played. So she didn't run and didn't walk. She looked at the lamb on its stick-like legs, wearing its first growth of matted wool. That lamb would produce a mountain of wool over its lifetime, which she and her sisters would clean and work and spin and weave into cloth they would trade for food to keep them alive for many winters. Maybe they could do without the lamb. Or the lamb might mean the difference between starving or not. If she were a braver girl to risk all that, she might walk away. But she realized just then that she was more afraid of what Rose and Lily would say if she came home without the lamb. They would be so disappointed in her, and Violet couldn't stand that. I'll take my lamb back, she said, as softly as she could and still be heard, 
Her voice had stuck in her throat. Of course you will. The red cap smiled like it had won something. A tear slipped down her cheek, hot as an ember. What could a thing like you want with a wee lamb? The red cap moved. Not a lot, just shifted its place as if to stretch cramping muscles. But the limbs bent wrong, knees creaking opposite the way they should, finger bones cracking like dry wood. Her stomach turned at the sight. She should look away. But then she wouldn't see when it finally struck. It licked its lips with a red tongue. You people get it wrong so often. You tell each other stories. About circles of toadstools, for example. You warn each other not to step inside, that the circle will trap you, pull you underground, and you will be forced to dance at unholy revels for a hundred years. As if you might be walking and suddenly stop to find that a circle of mushrooms has sprung up around you. Oh no, where did that come from? I'm doomed. It flung out its arms in a show of mock terror. Then it leaned forward on its knobbed hands, and she cowered away from the stench that came off it. But that isn't how it works. You think I set the circle here to trap the lamb? The lamb is just the bait, bait in a trap for shepherd girls. After this speech, she took a risk and reached into the ring of toadstools, the perfect fairy circle, carefully pressed into it like she might push open a heavy door. And nothing happened. She grabbed the lamb, pulled it out of the circle, hugged it close to her, and collapsed on the mist-dampened heather, gasping for breath. The animal snuggled close, and she let it, even though its wet wool soaked through her tunic and chilled her even more. It kept up its bleeding, which told her they were still in danger. The red cap laughed. Her voice grew very small. What, what could a thing like you want with a shepherd girl? <laughs> exactly what I'm getting right now. Your tears smell delicious. In desperation, she ran, or tried to run. Squeezing the lamb in her arms until it wriggled in discomfort, she lurched to her feet, stumbled and tripped on the foliage, but managed to stay standing and point herself away from the red cap. Just away, down the hill. But the red cap sprang from its perch and came to land in front of her, moving deftly like some kind of spider skittering across a stone. She turned away again, and again the creature blocked her, leering with a mouthful of daggers. And now, now it would close those teeth around her and rip her to bits, flesh from bones, guts strewn everywhere, and it would soak its cap in her blood, laughing all the while. She stopped, hunched over the lamb as if she could protect it. Still, the red cap didn't kill her. 
so she waited for the ground to open up and pull her under, to swallow her into hell. The world the red cap called home would be hell. She tried to steal herself, tried to think of everything her sisters ever told her about not eating their food and not dancing to their music and not stealing their wares. But none of the charms in her pockets had worked to protect her from this creature. She only wanted to take her lamb and go home to a warm cottage with a warm hearth and iron over the doorway to protect her. She could proudly present her sisters with the lamb she'd saved and tell them what such an unholy creature was really like. The red cap returned to its rocky perch. Something wriggled in its claws. Along the way, it had caught a mouse. It broke the mouse which only squeaked a little as the bones snapped. The red cap sliced into it, scooped out and devoured its innards, then held the little furry body over its cap and squeezed as if it was a berry. Blood dripped, softening the brown scabs that covered the cap, renewing its awful stink. There was nothing left of the mouse when it was done, except a tiny little leg bone, which the red cap used to pick its teeth. Yes, the red cap hissed, gazing at her with night black eyes. Your tears are most delightful. She could try to stop crying, holding her breath and locking all her fear away. Even the lamb had stopped bleeding, in fact, it held very still now, as if exhausted. But she needed all her energy simply to stay upright, chin up, to face this thing as best she could. If she could not run, she would at least not lie down. Or she would try not to. The red cap smiled even broader, and she wondered what she had done wrong, why it seemed so pleased with her. Do you know what I think? I think I might. Yes, I think I will. Change my mind, that is. You're trying so hard to be brave. I should let you go home, shouldn't I? She blinked at the red cap, afraid to hope. It tilted its hideous head winked a baleful eye. But you must answer me a riddle first. A fresh new fear burst upon her, melting her limbs and making her dizzy. She hated riddles. She wasn't good at them. Famously not good. Her sisters teased her about it, asking her riddles and telling her the answers before she had a chance to think of them for herself. A sense of resignation settled over her. She was doomed. Maybe she could get the lamb to flee, go home on its own and give her sisters some hint of what had befallen her. But it nestled firmly in her arms, clinging to the only source of warmth on the hillside. It was as if the red cap knew exactly how to torture her. This thought made her tired. Are you ready? 
Shall we start? It clapped its hands together like a child, a hideous, bloody child. I hate riddles. Even better, it said. All right, here it is. What is more frightful, the smaller it is? I don't know, she muttered. Aren't you even going to try? I told you, I hate riddles. Go on. You have to apply yourself. Just think a little, and it'll come right to you. I'm not clever, you know. Her sisters were clever, which was why they stayed home to wee while she wandered all over creation looking for stupid lost lambs. She looked at the lamb in her arms, and it gazed back at her with hopeful eyes, as if it thought she could really save them. Maybe she could. She tried to think. She really did. Even though the red cap had made no promises, had not said that answering the riddle correctly would win her freedom, or that answering it wrong would not. She was certain that nothing she did would make a difference, but just in case it did, in case it might, she thought, what is more frightful the smaller it is? A spider? The gnats one could barely see to swat out of the way, rather than the big flies that gave some kind of buzzy warning? Or the larder? Those weeks late in winter when the food you'd stored up started to dwindle and you didn't know if it would last to the first fresh greens of spring? The larder, she said, with some small amount of confidence that she might even be right. Wrong, the red cap stated. What? But what about a bridge? It answered, a bridge is more frightful the smaller it is. She wasn't sure that was exactly right. A small bridge over a small stream wasn't so scary. A small bridge over a river, perhaps. But who would build a small bridge over a large river? It didn't make sense. This was only one of the reasons why she hated riddles. The red cap sucked its teeth and said, Let's try another one. I know you can get this. Please let us go, please. I have a hill full and a hole full, but I cannot catch a bowl full. What is it? A hill couldn't be full of anything. Neither could a hole, or it wouldn't be a hole anymore, would it? And what could you put in a hole that you couldn't put in a bowl? And how big of a hole? Sullenly, she glared at the red cap and didn't say a word. Make a guess. Any guess at all? Oh, come now. Can't you think of anything? No. She refused. If the red cap was going to rip her apart anyway, she shouldn't have to play its stupid game. Fog. It's fog. 
You really are a dull child, aren't you? What do you expect, scaring me half to death and asking me to think? She shot back. Now, just one more. Her tears started again. Her feet were cold, her heart felt tight, and her eyes were sore from weeping. She'd started petting the lamb, stroking its tangled wool with her chilled fingers to comfort herself more than anything. The lamb had fallen asleep as if nothing was wrong. Well, that was something anyway. The red cap asked its third riddle. And what, I ask you, is over the head but under the hat? It raised its hat from its raggedy head and tipped it to her, mocking courtesy. I don't know. Answer me or I will tear your heart out. It had crept very close to her, or maybe it had appeared directly in front of her instantly, with no intervening movement. The teeth would only have to snap to take off her nose. The claws on the wicked hand only pressed forward an inch to plunge into her chest. She screamed. That was all. She couldn't think anymore. She couldn't listen anymore. So she screamed to purge the world. Now she was sure the red cap would kill her. It must grow bored of torturing her sometime, yes? But still nothing happened. Falling quiet, she looked up to the red cap, back on its perch now, folded up like some spindly bird, hands still dripping blood from the mouse it had killed. It smiled showing teeth as if pleased. It said, Are you frightened? Are you terrified? It appeared to want an answer. Yes, she sobbed. Am I not the most fearsome creature you have ever seen? Yes, the most fearsome creature you will ever see. Yes, 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 she cried, hugging the lamb to her. She'd woken it up, and it blinked back at her in surprise. Good, the red cap purred. It sat back and blew on its claws, then polished the claws on its leather shirt. Regarding her with a half-lidded gaze, it said, All right, you can go now. Of course, she didn't believe it at first. This was another trick, another torture. She took a careful step backward, and the red cap didn't react. Another step. The red cap seemed to have forgotten about her. What was this all about? She finally blurted in confusion. Proving a point, it said, 
still studying its claws. Doesn't concern you. She thought of arguing, venting her sudden anger at being toyed with, and she didn't even know why. But the question occurred to her, did she really want to know why? No, she did not. She turned to go, hesitated, turned back just one more time. Hair, she said. What? The red cap looked up. Over the head, but under the hat. It's hair. It smiled that hideous smile again. <laughs> Be gone, you silly girl. Violet ran, clutching the lamb in her arms, and was never afraid of anything again as long as she lived. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the story. Please consider making a stop at our website at nightmare-magazine.com. If you'd like to help spread the word about the Nightmare Magazine podcast, go to iTunes, find the Nightmare Magazine podcast, and leave a review or rating there. Nightmare Magazine is published by John Joseph Adams. If you haven't already subscribed, check out our many options at nightmare-magazine.com slash subscribe. The stories of this podcast are produced by Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrators Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. You can check out Skyboat Media's website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production is in association with Jim Freund. Music and sound logos are composed and performed by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. There's other ways you can be notified of new Nightmare Magazine content. You can subscribe to our free monthly newsletter RSS feed, follow us on Twitter, or like our Facebook page. If you visit nightmare-magazine.com and click on this month's editorial, you'll find links to all of our social media pages. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Nightmare Magazine. Thanks for joining us. Sleep tight. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.